Hey there, listeners and lurkers. I'm Amy Johnston. And I'm Alan Johnston. And we're so happy that you're joining us for The Last Isle. This week, we'll be covering the 1983 movie, Christine, directed by John Carpenter. And the screenplay is written by Bill Phillips. Christine feels like a John Hughes coming-of-age story. If Anthony Michael Hall obsessed over a classic car that killed everybody. (laughs) There's a lot to get into here. And now, if you'll indulge me, a dramatic reading of the back of the box. She was born in Detroit on an automobile assembly line. But she was no ordinary automobile. Deep within her chassis lies an unholy presence. She is Christine, a red and white 1958 Plymouth Fury, whose unique standard equipment includes evil and destructible vengeance that will destroy anyone in her way. She seduces a 17-year-old Arnie Cunningham who becomes consumed with passion for her sleek, round, chrome-laden body. She demands his complete and unquestioned devotion, and when outsiders seek to interfere, they become the victims of Christine's horrifying wrath. John Carpenter brings Stephen King's best-selling novel to life in this chilling thriller. I do remember seeing this movie fairly young. Stephen King novels were all over our house Mm -hmm. uh, growing up. Mm -hmm. And so I... Didn't read the books as much, but I like remember the covers of the books, mm-hmm. and I wanted to rem- like I wanted to watch every Stephen King movie I could get my hand on, and this one I think was either either recommended by dad or recommended by mom. I can't remember which one of them recommended it to me, but I saw it like as a kid, mm-hmm. and I remember it like kind of freaked my shit out. It was <laughs> it was pretty scary for me because there's just something about sentient objects that mm-hmm, come like to life and kill stuff. yeah that like come to life and kill people mm-hmm. especially vehicles i just have a thing about getting fear of getting run hit down. by a car <laughs> yeah so that that i remember being pretty well good. then you must have hated maximum overdrive i hated maximum overdrive i loved too. maximum overdrive because and, it was hilarious and mr mercedes really freaked me out when i read it because of uh by uh Stephen King's son, right? No, no, no. Stephen King did Mr. Mercedes. So Mr. Mercedes, when I finally read that, also f- freaked me out. But that wasn't a sentient car. No, but it was a dude running people down with a oh, car. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh God, yes. This is a digression. I'm just <laughs> telling you that also got me. No, I don't blame you. That one was awful. I actually don't think I saw this movie till. Maybe teenagerhood, maybe young adulthood. I honestly don't remember the first time I saw it. I read the book very young, probably younger than I should have. I feel like most most people who are Stephen King fans got their hands on a Stephen King book earlier than they should have. Like the first one I read, I the first one I read is probably I think Cujo because mm. I remember the cover of Cujo on Mom and Dad's bookshelf. Like it was just like a close up of his muzzle, and it scared me. Um, and I think Christine was maybe a little bit after that, maybe right. 11 or 12. Yeah. Um, but I didn't actually see the movie till till much later. It's a I, it's a good movie. Um, to me, it's not. It's a good adaptation. It's not one of my favorite movies, but it is a very good yeah. Stephen King adaptation. So, yeah, absolutely. Here at the last aisle, we want to remain mindful of sensitive topics. 
So we are offering a content warning for the following segment. The following movie will include discussions making parallels into sexual and violent assaults on women. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Enjoy the rest of the podcast and thank you listeners and lurkers. Caution. Spoilers ahead. The prologue opens on the sound of a car engine revving alive with the opening credits. Fade in and George Thorogood's Bad to the Bone plays as we see a car construction line in Detroit in 1957. Cherry Red Christine moves down the line seductively. A car inspector slips his hand into the open hood of Christine to check the engine. The hood suddenly slams down, clamping down on his hand and severing at least a finger or two. Mm -hmm. A cigar-smoking worker looks on, witnessing the screaming and carnage. The inspector has led off camera to tend to his injuries, and the line worker slides into the cab of Christine, perceivably to continue her inspection. The cigar-smoking line worker flips on the radio to play Buddy Holly's Not Fade Away. The words, I'm going to tell you how it's going to be, you're going to give your love to me, plays just as the cigar ash drops to the floor of the garage and the camera cuts away. Not Fade Away continues to play as a second line inspector comes to look for the source of music. He opens the driver's side door and the cigar smoke lineman falls out of the car and onto the floor of the Detroit garage. The second inspector honks Christine's horn to alert the other workers. First of all, the way that they, instead of using a song to open the cre- like to open the credits, and they just use that revving engine is so cool um, because yeah. they use music so masterfully to me in the rest of the movie the fact that they just open with that growl like that muscle car guttural like real growl um is great um when you see you know um christine on the assembly line everyone's heads are turning you know um i think all the rest of the cars on the assembly line are real muted colors or they may even all be like a cream color and she's the only cherry red yeah and everybody's just like the, the the boys cannot keep their heads on straight because Christine is gorgeous and it really leans into the cars as women idea yes. that we're going to see throughout the whole movie. Yes, that definitely um, comes into play. One last thing that I thought was really cool. So, you know, this opening scene is kind of the birth, so to speak, of Christine. And it takes place in 50, 57, I think, because she's a 58 Fury. So it's probably 57. Yeah. They shot that scene on Eastman Kodak film, um, which was kind of a retro. It was the film used at the time to shoot film. So it gives it that kind of grainy, you know, vintage feel. Um, And I just thought it was a cool choice to use a different kind of film to shoot it, you know, to kind of show that time difference. Like a 19, like a late 1950s ad of like showing the line of the cars. Yeah. To yeah. kind of entice the the buyer to. to right. Yeah. Go get the, right. gl- the glitz and the chrome. Mm-hmm. So we next jump into Rockbridge, California, September 12th, 1978. Teenager Dennis Gilder, played by John Stockwell, drives up a typical white suburban street. He parks in the driveway of his friend, Arnie Cunningham. This typical suburban street may look familiar to you. It does. It is the same neighborhood that um, Haddonfield was shot in for John Carpenter's Halloween. So, oh my God. There you wow. go. Yep. 
Yeah. That's, that's why it looks so similar or so uh, familiar. I, when I think most of those like white suburban uh, white suburban streets in the 1980s all kind of looks very similar. Yeah, but this one you're like, that's the that's neighborhood something. from Halloween. Yeah. It straight up is. <laughs> so Dennis honks and sighs for Arnie to come on. Arnie's mother, Mrs. Cunningham, played by Christine Belford, exits the house, yells to Dennis that Arnie is changing his shirt, and complains that he's sound polluting the neighborhood. She says he's practically dumping toxic waste on their front lawn. Oh, good lord. (laughs) She's one of those. Yeah, she's like an 80s Karen. Arnie Cunningham, played by Keith Gordon, comes running out carrying a large trash bag. His frame is slight and awkward, and his face is hidden by the thick black frames of his large 80s glasses. He tells Dennis he'll be right there. The garbage bag splits, spilling the wet contents all over the driveway. And there's the actual toxic waste. (laughs) Yeah. Arnie's mom wearily tells Arnie, like, that's okay. Just go on. And reminds him that the lunch that he has to run back for has yogurt in it. Why would you give... A child yogurt in their lunch unless they had a mini fridge in their locker i I mean you're not gonna be able to go like stick it in the teacher's lounge like where are you supposed to keep yogurt because doesn't she even say make sure you keep it cold like yeah where's he supposed to do that i don't know maybe he's supposed to put it in his that is why i had an igloo lunchbox with the zipper pouch that you put the ice pack in so i can keep my sandwiches cold she gave it to him in a paper sack so she's not doing her part in making sure the yogurt just ensuring your child has explosive diarrhea (laughs) have salmonella on your first day honey i love you as dennis and arnie drive to school dennis muses that arnie and his mom are having some kind of war arnie explains that his mom is just pissed off because he's taking shop like it embarrasses her and his father too arnie tells a really cringy story of playing scrabbled with his parents and choosing the word fellatio for a triple word score instead of ratio this is the epitome of the kind of rebellion so to speak (laughs) that i would have swung as a kid like you figure a kid who's playing scrabble with his parents probably doesn't have a whole lot going on and so like you push back on him by you know especially he i think he mentions it's a triple word score you go for the triple word you go for the triple word score but i also feel like though i think it's teen rebellion he could have read the room a little bit obviously his parents are a little buttoned up and and freaked out they're like the most white suburban people (laughs) ever truly are waspy Dennis listens to the story and responds that it may be time to get him late now that he's a senior. I guess he's like, dude, what? Um, it's time to get him late now that he's a senior. And they rifle through names of available girls. Arnie is noticeably uncomfortable, and the conversation ends abruptly with him suggesting, suggesting? Where am I from? <laughs> oh, God. Conversation ends with him suggesting... Maybe he just beat out. Uh, conversation <laughs> suggests, uh, Conversation ends with him suggesting maybe he would just beat off, seemingly missing the entire reason for the friendly conversation. I'm like, I figure, I we, I thought you'd probably already figured out that as an yeah. option, Arnie. So like, that's what we're trying to get you away maybe from. It's time. Here. Maybe it's time to get you out there, meet some girls, get you laid. I'll just beat off. Maybe it's time for you to. Okay. Maybe it's time for you to not talk about that in this car. (laughs) Don't say that again to me. Dennis and Arnie are at their adjacent lockers. Dennis is greeted at the locker by a kid wearing a varsity jacket who asks Dennis if he's planning on playing football 
um, that year and how his knee is doing. Arnie looks on as Dennis is then greeted by a pretty blonde, Roseanne, played by Kelly Preston. Arnie makes faces behind her head as she shyly flirts with Dennis. Finally, Dennis is approached by a kid named Bemis. What? I, I'm going to hope to God this is this kid's last name because Bemis is the wrong name for a person. A person. A, hu- <laughs> a, human, a human child. Bemis says, I wouldn't put that in my mouth, Dennis. You don't know where it's been. So it's just like he's already being a he's already being a creep. Arnie chuckles and says, we know where it hasn't been. It hasn't been with you, huh? Bemis continues to skeeve out with Dennis over a new girl he just saw in the office. And he begs for the hookup because apparently Dennis used to play like pimp football or something (laughs) until he blew out his knee. Like he was a football player, but yeah. pimp. So Lee walks down the hall with principal or a vice principal or some school official. She smiles at the three boys and Bemis makes an attempt to sound smart as he asks whether or not we should accept Red China into the UN. (laughs) Dennis says, I think we already did that, buddy. And Lee walks out of frame. Lee is the new girl that Bemis is like all gaga over. And this was so creepy to me because the the school official, whoever he is, I'm going to just say principal. um, He's like walking her down the hall and kind of like asking her, you know, what she's interested in getting involved in and whatever. I think she says yearbook or newspaper, and he's she, he's like, oh, that's a good way to meet guys. I'm like, this is a student. You are a an educator. Like, why do you give a shit about her dating life? Please stop looking at her knee socks. Like, you're being <laughs> oh, a creeper right yeah, now. Oh, Lord. Yeah, so Bemis also, skeevy, takes her smile as a sign of fate, and Dennis urges him after her. He says, what do you have to lose but your virginity? Bemis walks off camera, finally. <laughs> And Arnie asks for Dennis to help him with his locker once Bemis walks away. We sort of get this indication that Arnie is pretty helpless. Yeah. Like the bag splits. He can't be he can't even remember to take his lunch. Dennis has to help him open his locker. And then as But soon then as- we also get little glimmers of his like introverted yet sarcastic behavior because mm-hmm. he's making like yeah, he makes little gaga goo faces behind Roseanne's head, is ribbing on Bemis, but like he also can't open his locker on his own. So, And Dennis helps him open his locker and Arnie's like, oh, thanks. And then he closes it to try to open it himself open again it. and he can't, he can't do, do it. it. It's stuck again. Immediately it's stuck. <laughs> womp, womp. Womp, womp. Lock- oh, man, locker mates. Anyway, at lunch, Dennis crosses the lawn looking for Arnie and is informed that he's still in shop because Buddy Repperton has his lunch. Oh, God. Here we go. So Dennis walks down into the shop to see Arnie surrounded by a group of dicks. There's Buddy, played by William Ostrander. Who was 107. Who's 107. <laughs> no. A 107-year-old man of hair. He look. I thought this was, truly, I was like, this must be the teacher. Yeah. But it's not the he teacher. He is an older, he is a, he looks to be a seasoned man. Yeah, let's he, say he's been maybe held back a few times I looked at let's just say that I could date him based on his age in this movie yeah I so I looked it up he was like 22 or 23 when they filmed this movie okay, that's this does to date <laughs> this does not look like a 22 or 23 year old man he truly looks like he's in his 30s but What's the 80s for you I think it's the hair I think it's the hair honestly because I, I like you look back oh no, man maybe you look back, people just age differently back the, then that's true but I mean I feel like the more feathered a hairdo the older people look he is giving good hair in this scene and throughout the whole movie yeah it's Vidal Sassoon 
realness. realness. <laughs> Did you just say realness I just too? Said realness. Yeah. Twinsies. <laughs> So William Ostrander, Buddy, is front and center on bully duty, holding Arnie's lunch just out of reach. He's goading him with things like, why isn't your name on it, Arnie? Cunting ham, because he's super fucking original. Oh, good Lord. He goads Arnie to come and get it a few times before pulling it out of reach. And then pulls out a switchblade and slices right through the lunch bag. And I'm assuming the water balloon full of yogurt <laughs> that was inside. Because it is like a gallon of yogurt that it's goes true. onto the floor. You're thinking like this little like single serve container. And I think mom went for like a quart of yogurt. Yeah. So Dennis walks forward to intervene. But two of the boys trip him to the floor. Arnie walks towards Dennis to save him somehow. But slips on the yogurt, falls to the floor, his glasses go flying off of his face and just out of reach. So, didn't work out. No. This next scene hurts me because Buddy walks up to Arnie, reaching out for his glasses, and steps squarely on him with his big, bad 80s biker boot. Mm. And for anybody who's had a pair of glasses crunched or broken. Especially when they're your only pair. Yeah. You're like, great, I'm blind now. It's it's terrible. Especially if you're a kid and you have glasses. And like I'm sure like we could go into to deep depths about this. Like if you've ever had a retainer, if you've ever got if you've ever had expensive glasses or expensive retainers, mm-hmm. you know that like your parents are gonna give you a ration of shit when you get home. Yeah, my you know how expensive those were. You yeah, can't. mine got chewed by my friend Melody's dog in like fifth grade. I was jumping on her trampoline and took my glasses off and put them on a table in the backyard, and the dog just annihilated them. And this was the this was the 80s, man. Glasses were hundreds and hundreds of Well, I mean, they, they still are, but I, I mean, know. Yeah, no, it's not the ones I get. Zenny.com. Zenny.com. Please sponsor us. <laughs> hashtag, hashtag not spawn. <laughs> Um, all right. Dennis judo chops the knife out of Buddy's hand because he used to play judo football before he blew out his knee. <laughs> Moochie, played by Michael Denary, and who will be our token chubby bully follower for the movie. Stephen King. I know he does. I don't know. He likes his doughy his doughy bullies. I'm not sure what that's about. He and I need to have a talk, but anyway. I know. But he grabs Dennis by the entire junk. <laughs> I did not know that this was a go-to fighting move, but he doesn't just like squeeze his balls. No, he's like twig and berries. Fupa de grundle. (laughs) Like full twig. Yeah, full Full twig and berries. Yeah, full frankenbeans. Hand full. Kit and caboodle. (laughs) And he shoves him to the floor, which I mean, I mean, you grab me by the junk. I'm, I'm going down. And he says, how did you like that dick face? Kind of like breathlessly and a little bit creepy. And I don't understand the I think power. he's really hoping he liked it. I don't know, man. Like, I don't understand the power play here, but there's like some... Are we fucking or fighting? Are we fucking or fighting? fighting. <laughs> it's misplaced sexual anger at best. So then we finally meet Mr. Casey, who comes to the rescue, who is played by David Spielberg. No, no relation. relation. Um, comes down the stairs to break it up, though the entire... Like, all the shit just already fully hit the fan. You, like, don't you feel like he was just kind of peeking out from his office or something at the top of the steps, just like okay, and Arnie's and Arnie's, he's down. Okay, I can. Arnie's I can on the floor, in. and there's the yogurt. All right, like <laughs> like clockwork, and that's McHugh. Yeah, like maybe he just waits to see the yogurt to like jump into action. He's like, and there's the fucking yogurt again, so I know to come down. It now. ain't over till the yogurt hits the floor. <laughs> ooh, ew, no, never mind. That sounds 
re- nope, abort, reject that. <laughs> you can't say that. <laughs> no, I can't. I should not have said that. <laughs> so this shit has already gone down, and he tells Moochie and Buddy and a. Th- third guy because I didn't really take the time to learn everyone's name. No, it doesn't matter. He This guy doesn't need a name. Are you talking about the little skinny redhead guy? Just like in the back. Yeah. yeah I call him Linguini because he looks like <laughs> the guy from Ratatouille. <laughs> that's right. Like if they ever cast a live action version, that's, okay, well, that's just, the guy. I'll just call him Linguini then. That's so Linguini, fine. He tells Moochie and Buddy and Linguini not to go anywhere. Mr. Casey asks if Dennis is okay and scolds Buddy and this uh, and his guys for laying into Arnie three on one. Buddy is like they started it. Oh no, they didn't. Like from from like deep under his hair, he's like <laughs> <laughs> hair flip. They started it. That's not true. Arnie offers weekly, but Buddy lunges back with shut up cunt face. It's very original. To which Mr. Casey grabs him by the shirt collar and shakes the ever-loving fuck out of him. I think that Mr. Casey went to whatever teacher training that the <laughs> teacher from Carrie went to because they manhandle those kids. I like know. she was slapping the girls in the face. I, he's like oh shaking. God, he's like shaking Buddy by the shirt collar. I'm yeah, like, yeah, it's giving like you, you can't do that anymore. No, you're not allowed to do that. Also, like if you've ever seen Airplane, there's like the scene where like there's a full line. There's like a line and there's a nun and a rabbi and like somebody holding a hysterical. somebody's like holding a bat and they're just waiting in line to like shake her and like slap Locker. her and tell her to calm down but he says I don't have to listen to garbage like that coming from you buddy and then he just like returns right back to his composure like nothing happened and asks Arnie to continue it's there, something doesn't compute there yeah it's like I missed a scene I missed a transition scene Dennis chimes in that buddy has a knife a switchblade, which Buddy, of course, contests. When Mr. Casey says that he can make Buddy turn out his pockets, Buddy barks back. Yeah, you try it, you ball, fuck, and I'll knock you through the wall, fuck. He doesn't he, really He give, doesn't pause between the last word of a sentence and fuck, so yeah. it just comes up. I'll knock you through the wall, fuck. Yeah. And so give us Strander all the Oscars right here. Mm, mm-hmm. Especially especially for that Vidal Sassoon. I was going to say, his hair deserves the Oscar, VO5, really. V05, hot oil. <laughs> Absolute ma- fierce mane of hair. Don't hate him because he's beautiful. Yeah. Maybe he's born with it. Maybe it's Maybelline. Mr. Casey. <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of like letting you not say it. Yeah, I... And then you're he, asking me not to finish a fucking motto from the 80s. Who are you and who do you think I am? You sounded really enthused about it, too. You're like, maybe it's Maybelline. Only because it was like, if I don't say this, it's like I held in a sneeze. <laughs> I have to finish Maybelline. <laughs> Mr. Casey calmly tells Buddy's friends to go to the office and tells Buddy if he doesn't empty his pockets, Mr. Casey is going to call the cops, plain and simple. Buddy complies... And Mr. Casey tells him to go to the principal's office. <laughs> like, he's just going to go. I guess. <laughs> I never understood that. You're like, go to the principal's office. How many actually went to the principal's office and didn't just, like, walk out to their cars and go what home? Senior, what senior bag of hair <laughs> is going to, who, like, carries around a switchblade and is, like, going around stabbing bags of yogurt. Is going to be like, yes, sir. Is going to be like, you know what? 
You're right. I've learned my lesson. I'm going to march myself right to the principal's office. I've fucked up and I've earned my punishment. Yeah, of course I shall do exactly what you say. Yeah, of course he's fucking off. It's senior ditch day now. But Buddy sort of dash dances like pot of berets (laughs) right at Arnie and Dennis as he threatens, I'll fix you. You're going to wish you were never born. Like he, it's very. It's very West Side Story. Yeah. Because when you're a jet, you're a jet for life. When you're a jet. You're jet you were all jet. the way. You were jet. So um, at the end of the day, Dennis drives Arnie home. Arnie's glasses are held together by in the middle by tape. And like we totally believe that tape's going to hold glasses together when they break. They you don't. do what you got to do, man. Yeah, but that doesn't work. Arnie offers all in all. It wasn't a bad first day. So at least he's what, an optimist. What would a bad first day be I like? Know, are man. you coming home with your throat slashed? I don't, I don't know. Obviously, he's pretty down and out yeah but oh man arnie tells dennis that buddy has been kicked out of school for his west side story knife audition (laughs) arnie spots something out of the corner of his eye as they're driving and presses dennis to stop the car and pull over he's like i just want to take a look at her will you go back dennis who's confused who she is reverses the car and until a driveway and a house come into view asking arnie if he knows someone there they walk up to a ramshackle house, and on the front lawn is the same Plymouth from the opening credits. In so far that she's the same make and model in year, like it's not the same car at all. Yeah. Christine sits in an overgrown yard in front of an unkept home. Her paint is chipped and her body dull and rusted. A water-damaged neon paper for sale sign sits in the rear driver's side window, and sprouts of weeds delicately grow through the front grill between Christine's cracked and missing headlights. So this is probably a good time to talk about the cars. Yes. There were about 28 Plymouth Furies or 28 cars that they used as Plymouth Furies for this movie. Some of them weren't actually Furies. They were either Belvedere's or Savoy's, which looked extremely similar. But a lot Um, of classic cars nonetheless. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Some of them were restored so like for Christine's beauty shots so to speak like when she's just sitting there looking absolutely beautiful and restored there were a couple restored for that there were some hot rod versions um, with souped up engines and airplane landing lights for the headlights for when Christine's on a rampage Um, Mm. there were the junker versions like the one you see here I think they said there was even one that was like um, just the front half of Christine but it was actually being attached to like a a truck or you know so they could like maybe get the sound right anyway there were so many different wow different cars used in the movie two of them that's a big that's a big budget (laughs) yeah it really is two of them survived shooting um and they were the ones that were i think most fully restored one of them belongs to the studio i think and then the second one belongs to your private collector but um so yeah there were a lot of christines in this movie wow dennis urges arnie to walk away from the car she probably has ninety thousand miles on her and she probably won't even start she'll start a shaky elderly voice says George LeBay played by Robert Blossom who we love I love Robert Blossom he um was the old man from Home Alone he was yeah. Kevin McAllister's neighbor he was the mean old creepy man walking up w- and down salting the but sidewalks he wasn't mean old creepy no, he was but he sweet. was scary cuz he was different well and he had a bandage on his hand and you know that means yeah. serial killer he is an old gray skeletal man he exits the shack and approaches the boys 
LeBay holds a cigar in one hand. There's like something about cigars in this movie. They come up a lot. Holds a cigar in one hand and offers keys with the other, wearing a canvas strap and aluminum back brace over a sweat-stained tank top. It is a look. Mm-hmm. Arnie says, what do you want for her? Whatever it is, it isn't enough because he's got all the chill here. <laughs> like, I don't guess you can take haggling classes in high school, but Arnie desperately needs them. What do you want? I'll give it to you. Whatever what do you want? Is. I'll give you more. Yeah. It's not working, dude. The um, Dennis is just like, Jesus, dude, shut up. <laughs> take a fucking pill, man. Calm old, down. The old man walks over and asks Arnie if he's ever owned a car before. Dennis attempts to chime in that Arnie has a Mustang, but Arnie is like, hey, man, be cool, and silences him and says he just received his license. Name's George LeBay. Arnie introduces himself again and asks how much George wants for the car. George offers the key once keys once more, suggesting that Arnie start her up. Arnie, with almost fervent enthusiasm, slips behind the wheel and turns the key. Christine purrs gently to life, providing ambiance, as George introduces the car. Her name is Christine. My asshole brother brought her back in September of 57. Brand new she was. Still had the smell of a new car. That's just about the best smell in the world. Except maybe for pussy. <laughs> Continues. Please stop. <laughs> Please no. <laughs> you are my sister. Don't say pussy. <laughs> I love you. Don't quote that. <laughs> Uh, goddamn Roland went to Helen back for Christine. Dennis asks why George's brother is selling the car if he loves her so much. Because he's stone cold dead, that's why. <laughs> Died six weeks ago. Arnie asks, Arnie again inquires on the cost. I've been asking 300 for you, 250 Dennis tries to talk sense into his friend, appraising the car as not being worth more than $50. George insists that money is not important. And there'll be no bringing her back because I'm selling the shithole and buying me a condo. Before Dennis can dissuade Arnie further, he agrees to the terms and George heads in to grab the pink slip. Dennis turns to his friend one last time and implores him to uh, not waste his money on Christine. When George returns, Dennis tells him not to take Arnie for granted. He's just a stupid kid. He doesn't know what he's doing. George's eyes gleam at Dennis as he leans in to respond. You don't know as much as you think you do. Shitter. He grins his only remaining stained teeth into a demented smile. In the next scene, Arnie's mother screams, you did what? <laughs> Uh-oh. She is exasperated as she smokes by the kitchen sink while Arnie's father looks on. And Dennis pours himself a glass of milk from the Cunningham fridge because he's always keeping it classy. <laughs> Like, there's there's a fight. I'm going to drink some milk from your fridge. <laughs> the discussion continues with Arnie requesting help with registration as he's only 17. And he attempts a level-headed conversation with his parents about how he made the decision and how it's okay he paid cash. And He's trying to be like, look, guys, I was being responsible. Like, I made this decision and whatever. Right. As he's talking, Mr. Cunningham looks out of the kitchen window to reveal Knight and Christine sitting conspicuously on the driveway of the manicured lawn. This just gross jalopy, just right there, just sitting there, just all, just, just all, all gross dead and, and gross. jalopy, just all jalopy gross. What is the HOA going to say about oh, this? Oh, no. I guarantee you there's some kind of code. Yeah. The conversation escalates as Arnie becomes increasingly agitated and insists that he bought the car. And if it's something that I want, I get outvoted two to one. Well, this is no committee meeting. 
I bought the car and that's it. Mrs. Cunningham sternly rebuts this most certainly is not it before shifting blame to Dennis for allowing him to do this because it's all on Dennis. <sighs> Poor Dennis. Dennis, exhausted from the confrontation, offers a listless defense before deciding to leave. He's like, you know, thanks for the milk. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Arnie throws up his hands and walks out of the room muttering, okay, that's it. I'm getting the fuck out of here. Like, just very like, how do you, how do you, how do you do? Mm-hmm. To the Cunningham shock and vocal reprimand. He says, look, you wanted me in college courses. I'm there. You wanted me to be in the chess club instead of band. Fine. I'm there too. I managed to get through 17 years without embarrassing you in front of your bridge club or landing in jail. Now I'm telling you, I'm going to have this, this one thing. Miss Cunningham narrows her glare on Arnie and invite and advises him he will not be keeping the car at their house. Arnie shouts fine before slamming the door behind him. So he's I think I feel like he's already affected by It was immediate. S- yeah. It was immediate because he you know, when he's in the car with Dennis and he desperately tells him back up, I need to look at her, it's the level of obsession is almost paranormal. Like it's like he can't not look at her. He can't not have her. It is yeah. an instant obsession. I really do feel like this has this has like a siren archetype, siren song archetype mm-hmm. here because she yeah doesn't have to do much to get her hooks into these to yep. these men. Yep, and it's a very interesting concept. Darnell's garage interior. Four men sit at a card table near the front of the garage, playing around quietly. When Christine's exhaust comes billowing in, as Will Darnell, played by Robert Prosky, and who I know so well from Mrs. Doubtfire, mm-hmm, me too, is the cantankerous garage is the cantankerous garage owner. Stall twenty, damn it! Darnell walks over, shouting, "Stall twenty! Get over there and shut it off before we all choke to death." He fans at the exhaust and chides Dennis for not trying hard enough to talk Arnie out of buying the hunk of junk. Here we go again with poor Dennis. I don't know. I knew a guy that had a car like this once. Son of a bitch killed himself in it. He was so mean you could pour boiling water down his throat and have him pissing ice cubes. Darnell muses before turning to Arnie and assertively laying down the law of the garage. Before we get there, like, that's a pretty important note. That's a pretty important thing that Darnell said yeah. about this guy that yeah. he knew that had that car. And Dennis is just blank. Just nothing. No follow-up questions. No inquiries. Nothing. Okay. He's just like, no follow-up huh, questions. great. Whatever. Yeah. Bye-bye. Yeah. Um. So Darnell says, all right, that's the last time you run that mechanical asshole down here without an exhaust hose. I catch you doing it one more time and you're out. You understand? And I'll tell you something else. This place is for working stiffs, not rich ass, not nose kids. Want to go dragging on the orange belt and on and on and mm-hmm. on. Darnell continues with this barrage before Dennis suggests that the men at the card table are smoking. And Darnell should. Little sh- fucker. <laughs> little shithead. Dar- yeah. And Darnell should make them put him out. Mm. Darnell turns and suggests Dennis keep his pie hole shut unless he wants to help his friend right out of the garage. As Arnie looks on emphatically shaking his head no. Like, dude, be cool, be shut cool. Shut up, dude. Yeah. Darnell turns back to Arnie and begins to back him into towards his stall. You're on probation. You screw up one time, and I don't care how much money you paid up front. You're out on your ass. Arnie weakly agrees, and Darnell is like, great. Like, get the fuck out. We're yeah. closed anyway. Yeah. So the garage setting here was actually half garage and half repair shop for all of the different models of christine that they use for the movie so half garage and half garage half garage 
set, half garage, actual garage. They found this building. I think they said it was like an old shut down like wire factory or something. They built out the set of Darnell's. And then in the other half of the building, they set up, you know, with a ton of mechanics. And anytime one of the models of Christine, they had to work on those Furies a lot because yeah. they would break down or, they, you know, get damaged or whatever. There was just a constant stream of people in the other half of the set, other That's half actually, of the building, yeah. working on all the different versions of Christine to keep them up it's and really going. It's really smart because, like, they'll, I mean, you know, a place like that would be wired for, yeah, for a working garage. A wire factory probably had wires. I think you're probably right. <laughs> I'm going to punch you. <laughs> That's fair. As Dennis drops Arnie home, he asks what the deal is with that car. I don't know, Arnie says, almost wistfully. I think maybe for the first time in my life, I found something that's uglier than me. I know I can fix her up. It's so sad. I know. I'm like, oh, Arnie. Dennis, being a supportive male friend, however, of the 80s, offers that Arnie may be queer, but not ugly. God. (laughs) I literally wrote down, hooray for casual 80s homophobia. Like, this is just in every freaking movie from that era. Yeah, just sort of him, like, pointing his finger at him him and being like, ha ha, gay. Right. They they part ways, and Arnie walks up to face his parents, who are both waiting outside in the driveway. Dude, he's fucked. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, for him to come home and it's implied that a very serious discussion will be taking place young man and as somebody who uh, was the driver was like the first driver in high school I got to drive before all of my friends because I was a year older right I dropped I dropped quite a few friends home who like maybe didn't call ahead and tell parents that they were going to be, be late or like maybe <laughs> that they weren't going to come home right after school oh shit and I've I have seen a lot of parents waiting did you just garages pull or, a dentist and book it out of there as soon as you're like, oh, dude, they're uh, safe, I'm out. I am literally just a chauffeur at that point. At that <laughs> point, I'm like, I'm a cab driver <laughs> who doesn't get paid. I'm going to go home to my own family. I'll get in trouble with them. I'm not also going to get in trouble no, with because, your parents. No, because I called ahead. I know. We were very good children that my parents knew about. <laughs> <laughs> so later in the garage, Darnell looks on with another working stiff named Pepper at Arnie's handiwork. The passage of time is about three weeks, and Christine is starting to look, to look incrementally better. Mm-hmm. She has a new door. Um, like, she's shined up in places. Pepper offers that the boy does have good hands. Bad taste in car cars, Darnell adds, but, you know, you can't polish a turd. <laughs> Darnell approaches Arnie to chastise him for picking through his junk heap, citing, I didn't say you could build your whole fucking car with my stuff. I don't think you got the cold golden key to the crapper kid no one takes advantage of me understand but he softens a bit and concedes that arnie doesn't in fact have money falling out of his asshole so he's just a full he's a very colorful dude i love darnell so much yeah he offers arnie a job cleaning up arnie says that he'll think about it which okay um what's there to think about (laughs) that would be yes but darnell doesn't skip a beat well don't think you have too long or i'll throw you out on your fucking ass After that, Arnie sits in his car and sighs. As if to respond to his mood, the radio begins to play the 1950s ballad, Pledging My Love by Johnny Ace. Arnie gently smiles and lays his head on Christine's steering wheel. This would probably be a good time to talk about the music. Yes. So so in this movie, the way that songs are used is for, you know, Christine's speech. 
Christine communicates through these oldies songs that are, that are playing on the radio. This one is obviously a love song. It's a ballad. It's sweet. The way that Arnie is kind of acting around her. It's like the way you act around your first crush yeah. when you're like, you realize you both like each other and you're kind of testing the waters to be like, can I hold your hand? Can yeah. I like pet your hair? Or Whatever. Chocolate got my peanut butter. <laughs> right. Keith Gordon in the making of featurette, which I highly recommend if you like this movie to go search it out. It is on YouTube. It's in three parts, I think. Um, but Keith Gordon said that the way he played these scenes with just he and the car mm -hmm. is he would imagine what part of a woman he would be touching if, when he touched Christine. So like if he's touching her steering wheel, like is that her shoulder? If he's touching yeah. her, you know, whatever, like what part of a woman is that? And really yeah. kind of treating her like a lover, like yeah. a love interest. And you get that in his, it's, he touches her very gingerly and very delicately at first. Yeah. Um, you don't see him like grip steering wheels or anything towards till later. And yeah. He, and this, in this moment, you're really getting this like new. He's being love, very gentle, almost and just afraid. Reverent. To, yeah. Yeah. Um, also, I want to note here that the shift in Arnie from when he was talking to Darnell the first time they met in the garage to this period of time three weeks later, there's a very noticeable shift. When you see Arnie the first time talking to Darnell, he is shaking. He is falling down almost. Yeah. Darnell's scaring him. Yeah, he's back, literally, literally backing him into Yeah, he's very intimidating. But this time when Darnell's like, what do you think? You can just use all my shit for free. Arnie comes back with, well, nobody else was using it. He's kind of almost standing up for himself yeah. a little. And so it's like, where's this newfound confidence coming from? He feels from? a little less scared. Um, yeah. And that's coming through. Yeah. Uh, in the next scene, Dennis sits in the library with Bemis and another varsity kid. They argue over who's going to ask Lee out. Bemis insisting that she says no to everybody, probably because she said no to Bemis. And, mm -hmm. you know. Therefore, she says no to everybody. Right. Therefore, she's probably gay. Therefore, or, she's on right. her period. Whatever. Or she's going to date some Chad, right? Yeah, right. Whatever incel bullshit you want to come up with. <laughs> they continue to go Dennis until he reluctantly agrees to approach Lee, who's focused on a history book. Um, he he says, do you like music? Do you like dancing? He No, like, I'm not human. I like neither of those things. <laughs> well, he's stud, he stud face studs at her because he was a football stud until he blew out his knee. <laughs> I'm sorry, this is the last time. Lee turns him down because she says she has a date. The rejection is only magnified by the librarian who demands Dennis return to his seat. And like I, I just like wanted to suck my face inside of my own body. I was just like <laughs> I was like, Grah. when a teacher is like, uh, do your work and you're in the process of being rejected on top of that, you're like, okay, I will go back to my desk because I want to <laughs> die. <laughs> I'm just gonna go crawl into this hole right here. Right. Dennis approaches Arnie's house later. Mr. Cunningham can be heard off screen pleading with Arnie to stay and talk about this. And Arnie's mother is adding, this isn't a motel that you can drop in and out whenever you feel like it. Arnie's tone is apathetic as he leaves and runs into Dennis. He forgot about the movie. Dennis mentions Arnie isn't wearing his glasses and says he looks good. Yeah. Arnie nonchalantly apologizes for forgetting his friend's plans and mentions he needs to go and do an errand for Darnell anyway. Mrs. Cunningham girls Arnie with, did you have plans with Dennis? Arnold Cunningham, you're going to find yourself with no friends at all if you keep treating people this way. Arnie yells at his mom to get off his back as he strolls down the driveway. Mrs. Cunningham stands in the driveway with Dennis asking what has gotten into her son lately. 
Dennis insists that they barely see each other anymore. And Mrs. Cunningham informs him that since Arnie bought the car, he's been obsessed with it. When we signed the registration papers at Town Hall, they told us that the man that owned the car last died in it. Oh, my God. Of carbon monoxide poisoning. Oh, my God. (laughs) Maybe something's wrong with the car. Please spell it out for Dennis more because he doesn't seem to be getting it. The next day, Dennis walks up to George LeBay's home. There we go. He got it. As George appears to be boarding up his windows. Dennis advises LeBay what he knows about his brother, that Arnie would never have bought the car if he knew someone had died in it. George turns to Dennis, then you're even dumber than you look, or you don't know your friend very well. He had the same look in his eye that my brother always had. Only thing he ever loved in this whole life was that car. No shitter ever came between him and Christine, and if they did, watch out. George mentions that he intervened only one time when Rita, Roland's wife, died in the car, same way as he did. So that's two deaths. Two deaths. He said, I made him get rid of the car for decency, you know. Of course, the car came back three weeks later. Came back. Yeah, Dennis asks what he means and George doesn't respond. Something is obviously wrong here. You should probably inquire further about what came back means. Yeah. Dennis sneaks into an unlocked window of Darnell's garage over to stall 20 to Christine. Trying the locked door at first and then smacking the window. Keep knocking, but you can't come in. Suddenly plays on Christine's radio. <laughs> Such a good Scaring song. Dennis away and back out of the garage. It's a very like comical scene. It's kind of lighthearted. Yeah. But spooky. But, it but really, lighthearted. It points to that thing I said where, you know, Christine uses music to communicate. And this is her way of being yeah. like, Dennis, you need to back the fuck off. You're not coming it's, in here. It's sass. It's Christine's sass. Like, yeah. And it works because Dennis hauls ass and leaves. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that was really interesting about the music too, and um, Travis on Pop Mortem mentioned this, that almost all of the songs that Christine plays, um, all these oldies, are by musicians that met an early death. Um, whether it was from suicide, whether it was from misfortune, whatever it is. What, I don't know if it was an intentional part on the, you know, people that put the soundtrack together or if that was just because, you know, this was kind of the live fast, die young era yeah. of music. But it adds an eeriness because like you hear there's a Buddy Holly song in here. There's a Richie Valens song in here. Um, I kind of went through and looked up a lot of them and I'm like, nope, they died in their 40s. They died in their 20s. They, I, I mean, think there is something to that. Like, because you're looking at this classic car and don't you just feel, don't you just bet he feels like James Dean sitting in that car? Yeah, like, probably. You have this this very beautiful classic car who is, it's structurally, there's lots of, like, she has lots of things jutting out and lots of, she's, mm-hmm. right, yeah, like fins and this and that. Yeah. In the next scene, it's game day. Yay, ball sports. Dennis is playing his high school football game. Arnie rolls up in an immaculately restored Christine. Like, she is hot. Sexy. Very sexy. Like, this is the sexiest Christine has ever looked. No, this is like coming. She's turning those heads. Come and get it. This is tell me about it, stud. Yeah. Lee also gets out of the car, and they sit against her watching the field. So I guess she doesn't say no to everyone. No. Buddy and his cronies stand in the bleacher and notice the car, too. Hey, isn't that Cunningham's car? Buddy inquires to Moochie, who responds with, yeah, and he knows where Arnie keeps it. The play is called, the ball is snapped, and Dennis begins to run the direction of Arnie and Lee. 
Dennis watches them as he runs down the field. And when they begin to kiss, Dennis turns and jumps to catch the pass and is tackled hard to the ground. Mm. Like he did not. It was not a good tackle. He fell wrong. Yeah. The game stops. Arnie and Lee run towards the field. Dennis is really hurt, most likely his knee. Mm -hmm. And the camera pans eerily to Christine. Cherry red, fully restored, quiet Christine. I think she made this happen. Yeah. And. Repperton and his friends are such dickheads when they're cheering in a football game, in a high school football game anyway. You're supposed to be quiet if someone on the other team gets hurt or in any sport, you know, really. But as soon as Dennis gets hurt, who's technically on, quote, their side, on their team, they just like stand up and cheer while everybody else is being like, they're such dick bags. And you really want them to get what's coming to them because they just I mean, keep like showing their asses at every turn. You're technically not supposed to diagnose people under 18 as sociopaths, but seeing as Buddy is 42, I feel like he's <laughs> probably a sociopath. You're probably not wrong. Um, Arnie visits Dennis in the hospital. He is lying in a hospital bed with a neck brace and his knee elevated because fuck, it was his knee. Mm. Arnie points to the book of 5,000 Dirty Limits he bought to keep Dennis busy. So it, this was cute to me because in the book, limericks were kind of like their thing. Like they would tell each other dirty limericks. And mm. so they, like this is why he brought him this book. So they never really get into that in the movie, but it was a nice little nod back I to like the that. source I material. Didn't, yeah, I didn't know that reference, but I was like, 5,000 Dirty Limericks, I guess. But no, that is a cute, yeah, that it is was a cute, cute. reference. Dennis mentions the doctor told him he was nearly paralyzed by the tackle and that he'd never play football again. What a downer, dude. I bought you limericks. Why are you trying to take all the air out of the room, dude? I brought you these 5,000 dirty limericks. Are you going to bring me down with your, like, busted knee? Jeez. Rude. He asks about Lee. Arnie insists that he's only attracted to Lee's mind and she just lusts after his body. Oh, God. (laughs) Arnie, that is not true, buddy, but you keep dreaming. Dennis says he saw Christine and asks how Arnie was able to restore her so quickly. He's surprised by Arnie's parents letting him register the car. Arnie says coldly and kind of boldly that he said if they didn't, he would drop out of school. So he's like getting some testicular fortitude, man. Like he's. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's some spice. Mm hmm. Little pepper. Christine is clearly changing his demeanor. Yeah. He's he's dressing douchier. He's using hair mousse now. <laughs> he's a monster. <laughs> they just don't want me to grow up because then they have to face getting old. Did it ever occur to you that part of being a parent is trying to kill your kids? See you around, pal. It's so... Arnie walks out of the hospital room. Let's see you that. Thank you for bringing me this book of limericks and uh, talking about my mortality and my parents' mortality and totally being a big downer. I appreciate it. Really weird. Guy friends are weird. Guy friends are weird. Arnie and Lee are at the drive-in with Christine. Lee pushes Arnie away just as things are getting hot and heavy, and it begins to feel a little like Christine is watching them. Mm -hmm. She apologizes and runs out of the car into the rain. Arnie sits back in Christine with anger and probably sexual frustration on his face (laughs) before Mm -hmm. he decides to chase after Lee. They have a conversation. He eventually convinces her to come back because he observes she's cold. Yeah. Once they get to the car, he says, you know, I thought girls were supposed to be jealous of other girls, not cars. Lee responds, this car is a girl. She smacks the car seat and Arnie tells her to cut it out. She says, what, you don't like me slapping your girl? 
goes, it just seems like no one likes my car these days. <laughs> or it's that I'm a total douchebag now, yeah. but whatever. Lee reaches for a hamburger on the dashboard and the windshield wiper snaps. Arnie quickly exits to get out to fix it and leaves Lee inside of Christine to eat her hamburger alone. <laughs> so Alexandra Paul said in the uh, making of featurette that um, Alexandra Paul plays Lee. Yes, she plays Lee. Um, she said in the making of featurette that she is a vegetarian and was a vegetarian at the time, but she didn't want to make a big fuss because this was her first big movie role. And so she wasn't going to be like, I don't eat meat. Can you give me something else? So she says, if it looks like I'm eating weird on camera, it's because when I went to bite the burger, I was kind of like squeezing the meat back away from the edge so like i was just getting bun (laughs) fucking craft services couldn't make a veggie burger i mean i don't know you know what veggie burger technology was like in 80 whatever the 82 when they shot this but i just thought it was cute the song you're mine and we belong together plays on christine's radio and the lights in the car turn bright white and lee begins to choke arnie looks through the window and finally notices lee is struggling he spends a lot of time out there with that windshield wiper i know like gives no fucks but his door is locked and he can't get to her finally a man pulls lee from christine from the other side and gives her the heimlich maneuver Later, Arnie pulls up to Lee's house and Lee bolts from the car and up to the door of her house. She's like, uh, noping the fuck out of there. She's like, fuck this shit, I'm out. Yeah, (laughs) for serious. Arnie insists he didn't know she was choking and she's like, he's like, I could have given you the Heimlich maneuver. She's like, yeah, but you didn't. But you didn't. You didn't. And like, you were trying to stop him from helping me. Um, Oh, yeah, because he gets like this huge flash of jealousy when... The guy goes to give um, Lee the Heimlich. He's yeah, like, what he's are like, you get doing? Get away from her. Yeah. I'm like, your what? girl's dying. Yes. Literally dying. Like, She's Her lips are purple, bro. Like, read, read the room. Yeah, so she continues to explain that Christine seems jealous of her and refused to write in, write in Christine ever again. She says, like, something happened there. The lights went white. Mm-hmm. She also mentions that every time they're making out the car stalls mm-hmm. um, and like all the car ever gets are those stu- what she calls them, those stupid rock and roll songs mm-hmm. attempting to soften Lee or maybe just to be a complete creep. Arnie implies that Lee is just sexually frustrated and then like tries to grab her just Bro. goes right immediately before her. You just need you just, you just need, need, your need the squeezed. D. I, what the fuck, man? I mean, obviously we're supposed to think this is Christine's influence on him, that she's turning him this way. Or maybe he's just never had a girlfriend before and so this, yeah. he's acting like an idiot. But, like, good lord. I know. It's really hard for me to read through these scripts sometimes and watch these old movies from the 80s and not come off like a man-hating, like, podcast. I know, but, like, goddamn. <laughs> come on. You just need to get laid. <laughs> Fuck off. I don't hate men. I hate fucking stupid people. And that was fucking stupid. <laughs> oh, my God. Just then, though, in the nick of time, the light comes on just outside her house. So, like, somebody from inside like, flipped the light, porch yeah. light on. Um, we assume one of Lee's parents. Yeah. Arnie apologizes to Lee and asks if he can call her tomorrow. Before she rushes inside, she apprehensively responds, I don't know. Because I don't know, dude. Like I would be like, uh, no thanks, I'm if full. You're asking, I, if I'm not interested. Asked, yeah, if you're asking me now, the answer is no. Yeah. Arnie stands dejected in front of the window of Lee's home before walking back to Christine. He tries to turn the key to the ignition and Christine stalls. Mm. He tries again to no avail. Arnie looks desperately at the dashboard and pleads with Christine 
calmly stroking her steering wheel saying come on baby please everything's the same i swear he turns the key a final time and christine roars to life the lyrics i don't know why i love you i don't know why i care on the radio as he drives oh, to darnell's <laughs> this is such a he damaging say sorry <laughs> yeah this is such a damaging she relationship said, <laughs> she said i look <laughs> i saw all that who is that skank mm-hmm. you're gonna apologize to me Next, we come to Darnell's. Mm -hmm. Buddy and his band of merry meatheads sneak into the open garage door at Darnell's and wait for Arnie to leave. The music cue here is eerily off-putting. And this is John Carpenter. Mm -hmm. This is his his music. The way that his score interplays with all of the oldies songs is just so great. And it is quintessential 80s. Like it is like that that good synth synth music. Um, Good to work to. Yeah, it really is. The men select their weapons as they whoop and holler at each other. Buddy walks through the garage, holding a large sledgehammer. Christine sits alone in stall 20. Buddy and his denim-clad bros slowly surround Christine. Buddy climbs her and stands on the top of her roof. He says nothing but wields the sledgehammer and slams down into it violently, shattering her windshield. Mm. The frenzy of breaking glass and primal shrieking are the only sounds as Christine is smashed beaten, stabbed, dented, and battered by the boys. Mm. Moochie opens Christine's door and repeatedly stabs the driver's seat. He scrunches his face and brings the knife down again and again. Dr. Reed from Criminal Minds would have a field day with baby Berkowitz. (laughs) Yeah. Like he is, he's feeling something. This is what we call overkill. Yeah. The radio flicks on to play, I hear you knocking, but you can't come in. Just like before, mm-hmm. illustrating a, me- a metaphorical spit in the face of her attackers. But she's silenced when Moochie smashes her radio plate. Yeah, it's like her her way of crying for them to stop because, yeah. you know, it worked the first time when she when it played, you know, when Dennis was breaking in. Yeah. And so that's like her way of being like, um, OK, guys, like back off. Yeah. Can't you, you can't come in here. And it's it's. Oof. The scene was a heavy one to watch. It's unsettling. It was hard for me not to draw parallels of violence towards women. The sheer anger of these men is palpable. The music drops out completely as soon as Buddy strikes the first blow, and it feels very gritty and visceral. I believe you're meant to feel this parallel, Mm -hmm. as Christine has been personified up until this point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's an assault. Yes. The next morning, Arnie walks up to Darnell's with Lee and promises, I just need to get my wallet out of Christine. (laughs) She is crusty. Oh, now. that's apropos. She's getting all beaten up. I and can't she- say that. <laughs> Don't call her Christine. The next morning, Arnie walks up to Darnell's with Lee and promises, I just need to get my wallet out of Christine. And then asks Lee to please come in with him. As they walk down to Christine's stall, Arnie suggests that Lee and him apply to the same colleges. As he holds her hand and talks about helping with her math, he catches sight of Christine. And he squeezes Lee's hand so hard that she has to yank it away from him in pain. It's like he has this little glimmer of like, oh, right, people. I like people. And I really like this people. And like... It's his rage at seeing Christine and her condition. He completely forgot that Lee was even there. And it's like the grip on her hand was the measure of how furious... He and despondent he was, and yeah. I mean to the point where he hurts Lee. Yeah, Arnie studies Christine's damage as a concernedly looks on. She calls out Arnie's name, but he appears to be in some sort of shock or trance, and is silent until she she attempts to reach out to comfort him. 
he then explodes saying, don't touch me, shitter. This is shitter. Yeah. And then he says, oh, this is just what you wanted. You get a, you get away from her. It's like everyone's a shitter now. Mm-hmm. Even Lee. Every, who the he whole was, world is suddenly against yeah, him. He was just begging the night before. Can I call you? Like, yep. Was just saying, let's get, let's go to college together. Yeah. He's cycling between like Arnie and not Arnie. Suddenly she's a shitter. Yeah. Um, later, he sits at the table with his parents. Arnie's mother offers condolences, but Arnie insists that it was their fault. He blames them for not allowing him to park in their precious driveway. Mrs. Cunningham pleads with Arnie to talk to them as rational adults, but we discover here from Arnie that one of them took a shit on the dashboard of his car, and how is that for rational? Terrible. Mr. Cunningham finally chimes in and offers to help Arnie buy a new car. Arnie tells him he's fixing up Christine after a hearty fuck you to both his worried wasp parents. <laughs> Mr. Cunningham runs down the hall after Arnie and grabs him, barking, Listen, mister, you've been disrespectful with us once too often. You go back there and you apologize to your mother right now. But Arnie pushes back with, Hey, take your mitts off me, motherfucker. That is not the way he was talking to his parents before. No, it's not. Arnie's dad shoves him against the wall, but Arnie coldly grabs his father around the throat and lets out this amused chuckle as he studies the terror on his dad's face. He slaps his father on the cheeks on the cheek playfully and says, I'm hitting the sack. It's like it's who crazy. is this dude? Yeah. Who is this? Because yep. it's not Arnie anymore. So um, one of I'm putting this in here because this is the scene where I noticed it the most. So on the um, DVD commentary, Bill Phillips, who was a screenwriter, um, said that the movie technically did not have enough violence to get an R rating. And they were afraid that if a movie went out with a PG rating, that nobody would want to go see it. If a, a horror movie, you know, goes out with a PG rating, nobody's going to want to see it. PG-13 wasn't a Teenagers thing yet. Teenagers want to go see it for date night, and they're not going to go if it's PG-13. No, well, there, no, there was no PG-13. Oh, there was G, PG, R, and X. No. That was it. Yeah. Um, so he said, what can we do to get this up to an R? And so he purposefully entered the word fuck into the script as many times as he thought was reasonable to get to that R rating, which he did. But then he said that they were criticized at the time for using the word fuck too much. So like, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. As a something year old woman who curses like a sailor, I appreciate this. I do too. Plus, I mean, in this scene anyway, it shows you Arnie's shift in personality mm-hmm. because he wasn't talking like that at the beginning of the movie. And now, I mean, he's resorting to violence against his own father. So it, the know. the use of that, the use of language, I mean, it really does illustrate kind of what Arnie's going through internally. You kind so. of, and you try to think, uh, like, I think the reason it struck me so much is like, you think of the, the most disrespectful dominance play you can do to someone and to grab them around the throat. And then laugh and laugh to like, be like I've got you, fucker. Like this, like total, total lack of empathy. Way he's dead inside. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're getting into deep already. Uh, later, Arnie is in the garage with a bro- with broken Christine, and he delicately delicately lays his head against her door frame and broods. We'll make it better, huh? Can't hurt us anymore. We'll show those shitters what we can do. He walks away to face his workspace, and off-camera, creaking and glass cracking can be heard. Christine is moving somehow. Mm-hmm. 
Arnie realizes what she's doing and walks 10 feet from the stall. He turns to face a full view of Christine, still crumpled and broken, and says in a nearly dominant manner, okay, show me. Oh naughty. My God. It's so naughty. You tell me with this music playing and the way he speaks to her that this is not straight up like he's asking his woman to strip for him. It is yeah. so sensual and yeah. steamy. Like it's a steamy scene yeah, with a car. Like, it's like this jazzy, sexy, femme fatale music riff. Yeah. Christine repairs herself. The scene appears to be shot in reverse and to this day is still very impressive. It's still a very impressive visual effect as Christina like self repairs to her immaculate former glory tell me so they everything. used what they used these hydraulic vacuums to suck in the body of the car so yeah. like the red parts of Christine um they used high powered vacuums to suck in they shot that footage and then they reversed it um they said also that they used um, plastic panels in some areas because for whatever reason on camera that looked more like metal popping back into place than actual oh. metal did. Probably because plastic will kind of pop back out to... And metal will work. Me, right, metal will kind of hold creases and stuff where plastic won't. So That's so smart. It is so effective. It's, it's absolutely <laughs> It's a Rubbermaid. It's a Rubbermaid, Christine. It this absolutely holds up it is so effective yeah it looks great and it's just a very very cool sequence i am such a big cheerleader for when practical effects mm -hmm. are used to create the vision to at least sell the drama that we're looking for mm -hmm. and this absolutely does that absolutely sure it's not flawless and i mean would it be it's it's one of those things that if they were to remake christine now and use cgi effects i think i'd be bummed so here's the thing reports i can't confirm that this is true i haven't read in the last couple weeks up on this but reports are that they are going to remake Christine and that the person behind it is going to be Brian Fuller who was the creator of the TV series Hannibal. We know, I know. how absolutely powerful Brian yeah. Fuller's visuals were in this Hannibal. True. This is true. I if get, he adheres yeah. to and I'm not saying don't do any CGI. I think when you combine that with practical effects, you can yeah. get some absolutely mind-blowing visuals. Yeah, he goes to some dark corners. Yeah. So I'm I'm digressing fun. past the movie, but I'm just saying if <laughs> they remake it today, I oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. Moochie jumps down from a rig, having been dropped off on a dark and quiet road. Little bitty pretty one plays distantly on a car stereo. Moochie begins to follow the sound and is confronted by Christine, fully restored, sitting in wait under an overpass. Her motor starts as she slowly approaches Moochie. Hey, Cunningham, is that you? Hey, you weren't mad, are you? No, dude, no. you shit on my dashboard. How could I possibly be mad at you, Mooch? It's all good dumbass suddenly the pursuit is on christine's headlights beam directly into screen and the engine revs as she chases moochie he loses her briefly around a corner until her high beams flash brightly and she again pursues moochie ending at a narrow alleyway uh, moochie yells you're dead cunningham from the safety of a too narrow alleyway but Christine slowly crumples in her own body, reducing her width enough to scrape through the alley and pin Moochie to the wall. 
the sounds of scraping metal, a revving engine, and Moochie screaming in the scene. Oh and my you gosh. you don't really see the death. No. So here are two things. So at this point, the audience pretty much suspects that Christine is doing the driving herself, that she's in control, whatever. We don't know that Moochie and his crew probably know that. So when he's pinned into the alleyway before Christine like pulls in, he, he, pulls a knife. he pulls a knife and so all I could think of was Moochie brought a knife to a car fight <laughs> like don't it's not gonna do anything and then second of all when Christine's driving into that alleyway she's not going 60 she's not even going 40 she's barely going 10 yeah so I'm like if you had enough heads up like because she's going so slow, couldn't you have just kind of like jumped onto the I hood know, and like was like a chunky guy? But he could have at least like flop rolled onto the hood, right? Like I mean, I'm a pretty hefty gal. I could at least I would have to at like least, climb up on the hood. I and would not have at least jumped the, the three inches it would take me to get up on the hood. I mean, right. I would. I'd step have up, to try. Step up on that bumper, dude. But no, he's just like no, and just stands there and waits to die. Hmm. It's great. Good job. I like it. R.I.P. Moochie. Yeah. Dennis wakes up in his hospital bed to Arnie popping a can of beer. Where have you been, asshole? Did you hear what happened to Moochie, Arnie says? Yeah. Almost makes you feel sorry for the little bastard. Dennis asks how Christine's coming. Cherry, Arnie says. I spent a shitload of money on her and she's perfecto now. What the f- what is this way he's talking? He's he's like going into like greaser territory. Yeah, she's perfecto. Primo. She's primo, man. Dennis muses that he heard Christine was totaled. Arnie can contests that after the broken glass it wasn't so bad. Why is he Arnie why is Arnie lying about the amount of damage to Christine? Well, Dennis says, I think it's because he doesn't want anyone to ask questions about how, how she Christine got was able to so just quickly. Yeah. It's a self-fixing car. Uh, Dennis says he bets it's Buddy Rapperton and warns Arnie that he could just clean up the mess. And what if Buddy tries it again? Arnie seems pretty adamant that he won't do it again. Dennis says, what does that mean? Arnie doesn't really answer, but he says he has stuff to do. He stands in the hall, full popped collar douche, as Dennis reminds him to stay loose. Oh my God, he's Arnie, such a douche at this point. Yeah, Arnie feels fully indoctrinated into the Christine cult right about now. Mm-hmm. Completely. And in the next scene, Arnie is approached by Detective Rudolph Junkins, state police. He questions Arnie on the damage, reporting that everybody he talked to said the car was totaled. Arnie quickly runs through where the car was hit, like points out little spots, and Junkins praises him for his aptitude in fixing her up. Arnie gets into his car and attempts to drive away, only to find Junkins just like standing, <laughs> unmoving in front of Christine. He's like, so I'm going to go. Junkins is like, I'm I, I actually stay. think you're not. I'm actually just going to stand here. Arnie finally jumps back out indignantly, and uh, Junkins continues the questioning with Arnie uh, on the paint color of the car and why no one got photographs of the damages when the car was trashed. Arnie, ins- this is still a goofy moment. That's why this this makes me laugh because even though Arnie is like fully indoctrinated and is like yeah. not Arnie anymore, he's still Arnie. And yeah, so, he's still so he's like, I'm going to go. And then he's like, okay, what do you want? Yes, <laughs> I guess I can't. Oh my yeah. God. Arnie insists that the car really wasn't that trashed again, and Detective Junkins reports that that is not what Lee said. He also says that he'd be mad as hell if somebody defecated on the dashboard of his car. Yeah, I would be too. I would too. And he would have thought that Arnie would have reported that. 
Arnie just says shit wipes off. Well, Moochie Welch kind of got wiped off too. Arnie says, I wouldn't know. Junkins continues that the kid was cut in half, that they had to scrape up his legs with a shovel. Well, isn't that what you do with shit? Scrape it up with a little shovel? Junkins warns Arnie not to get smart. I would say not to get gross. That's Jesus, dude. <laughs> I mean, he's being a little punk ass. I'd be like, whoa. <laughs> um, ew. Arnie challenges back by saying, since when is it against the law to fix up a busted car? Junkins concurs that it's not. And Arnie's demands Junkins get off his back. He really likes to get off my back. Mm-hmm. And the next scene at Darnell's, Arnie calls Lee and attempts to get her to give him one more chance. Lee is concerned for Arnie and evidently a little scared of him. Rightfully so. Right. And Arnie goes full metal jacket and yells (laughs) that he knows it's over before slamming down the phone with a fuck you bitch and then picks the phone back up. It's like, Lee, Lee, are you there? (laughs) Do do you not know how a phone works? (laughs) Hello? (laughs) When that little button clicks down, you have hung up. Hello? (laughs) She is no more there. Buddy, with Lackey in tow, drives down a dark road through town before Buddy eventually notices bright high beams tailing his car. His friend turns to the vehicle behind him, flipping the car off. Buddy smirks and offers his toady a hold my beer moment as he slams on his brakes. (laughs) The gleaming red Christine behind him doesn't seem to waver, though. She backs up when Buddy backs up to his dismay. Buddy seems a bit more terrified as he speeds off. He's like, he's like, I'm going to get this fucker. I'm going to go. Yeah, right? <laughs> Not able to lose Christine, who's following close behind. Buddy and his buddy jump out at a gas station where one of the other flunkies are working. So Linguini. Where Linguini is. Some shithead's following me. I just hope he comes in here. Buddy's voice cracks in the most glorious way. <laughs> And it seems to say, I'm not shitting my pants. You're shitting my You're, you're shitting, shitting your pants. You're pants. shitting your pants. <laughs> my pants. There's no shit in my pants right now. Don't look, though. Don't look at my pants. Christine comes Tokyo drifting around the corner and T-bones the fuck out of Buddy's narrowly escaped car. Like, he jumps out and T-bone right mm-hmm. inside of it. She reverses and Buddy's side door is still interlocked with Christine's grill. Her tires smoke and squeal as she drags the car backwards through the gas station parking lot. Is that Cunningham, Buddy's crony inquires breathlessly. Look at my car. Come on, prick. We're not finished yet. Buddy shouts ironically and still believes he has the upper hand at all here. Finally, disengaging from Buddy's busted car, Christine backs up a little further and then fully speed smashes right into one of Buddy's lackeys and right back into Buddy's car, Mm -hmm. puncturing the fuel tank. Gasoline floods the garage and Buddy's other friend, Luguini, looks up at horror to see the fuel igniting. Aww. A large explosion and blood curling screams and it's goodbye, goodbye, Linguini. Goodbye, toasted Linguini. <laughs> goodbye, toasty Linguini. I hardly knew ye. <laughs> Buddy watches in horror and slowly backs away, only turning to run once he sees a fire engulfed Christine emerging from the garage, which is so badass. And he's standing near the gas pumps. Yeah, he doesn't seem to really care about the fact that there's he a explode. fire. You're by a gas pump. Perhaps move. I. It's just a suggestion, but maybe moving would be a Pertance. good idea. I don't know. Yeah. Um. The next 12 seconds are of film are just explosions no shit just explosion after explosion from like five different camera angles so this service station set was built in the middle of nowhere for the sole purpose of blowing it up for the movie so it doesn't surprise me that there's like 12 full seconds of explosions where because, it's just this boom because ba-boom. They, 
boom look man we want to get our use out of this on fire set so we're going to shoot it from the air we're going to shoot it from down the street we're going to shoot it from underneath do we have people are taking pictures with it like whatever do we have a budget for a crane we don't have any budget for a crane okay well all right well then just shoot it from over there then um christine is on fire and slowly driving behind a frantically running leather jacket with hair she narrows the gap between them a thud can be heard as the taillights drive away from the heap of dead dude on fire which again we don't see the death no but it's effective i still think it's effective i remember being affected by this as a kid yeah, i'm like but oh we, my god he died i um, I don't know. It's, I know. I like seeing the deaths in movies. I, <laughs> I don't know. just like knowing there's a death and you don't see it. Yeah. Show me the death. That's why I watch horror movies. That's why we watch horror movies. Yeah. yeah. Back in Darnell's garage, Darnell sits alone and is alerted by the sound of the opening creaking metal mechanic door. Christine drives in still smoking, but no longer in flames. So the way that Christine drives in to the garage here, she's all backlit. She's all smoky because she was just on fire. This reminds me of the scene in Kill Bill right after Beatrix Kiddo breaks out of the coffin in the ground and she walks into the diner and she's all uh, backlit yeah, and, and like the dirt is coming off of her. And so I'm just wondering yes. if Tarantino like because it, it, I was just like, oh, my God, is that's Beatrix same? Kiddo. Absolutely. Yeah, it, yeah it was such a cool shot. Christine is Beatrix Kiddo, in my opinion. Kind of. Yeah. Her body is significantly damaged from the fire and she slowly runs the corner into stall 20. Darnell calls a customer to ask if Arnie is delivering over there at the moment. He then confirms that Arnie is not driving Christine and infers that someone must have stolen her, trashed her, and brought her back to the garage. Darnell arms himself with a long Winchester-style shotgun. He barks for the hoodlums to get out of the vehicle, but when no one does, he gets closer to the smoldering car and demands they come on out. He goes for the door handle and singes his hand. Grabbing a shop cloth, he opens the door and see, sees that no one is sitting inside. Darnell enters the vehicle as the song, I Got a Girl Named Boney Maroney, <laughs> starts to play and the car door slams shut. Darnell's look of shock turns to grunts of fear and pain as the bench seat clicks forward incrementally, crushing him right into the steering wheel. Darnell struggles and then slumps over, expiring. <laughs> the, oh, sorry. Go ahead. The radio shuts off and the garage is quiet. <laughs> so I was like, I don't understand why they played this music. This music. Like, yeah. So if you listen, I think the next line is something like, she, uh, I got, you know, I got a girl named Boney Maroney. She's as skinny as uh, like elbow macaroni or something like that. And oh, so it's like Christine God. was crushing him and making him skinny, <laughs> making him Boney Maroney. So oh, either she God. was turning him into bones like because she was killing him or um, she was making him skinny by crushing him. Either way, I actually liked it. That's great. Yeah, it's a good choice. The next, morning, Ar the next morning, Arnie returns to the garage and runs into Detective Junkins, who is conducting a homicide-slash-suicide investigation. He informs Arnie Darnell was found in the front seat of Christine, dead with a loaded shotgun right beside him. Arnie tries to get to his car and insists he has parts to deliver. Like, dude, have you ever seen a cop show you're not getting in <laughs> you're that not car you're not going anywhere man yeah and Junk Junkins gently pushes him back and, and he just like is like no mm, you're I not, don't think so you're not getting in the car Arnie insists that he has no idea what's going on 
And it's the one moment where Arnie still feels a little bit earnest because he does look earnest here. He's like, yeah. I have no idea. I think what he, I truly here. believe he doesn't know what's going on. Yeah. Because here's the thing. So if you watch the scene with Christine going after Moochie and you watch the scene with her going after uh, Buddy and his crew, the windows are very obviously completely blacked out. And. It, it's almost like the movie wants you to ask, well, is that Arnie behind the wheel or, or is, is that Christine? Christine on her own? Yeah. The blacked out windows did lead to, you know, some pretty tricky driving situations. Like, I imagine. Like the scene where Christine like bursts into flames and is still driving after How Buddy. How the fuck did the stunt driver The stunt see? driver, he didn't see that well, but he was able to drive a blacked out. A car. He was able to drive a car with blacked out windows on fire towards a guy it's the 80s we threw a caution to the wind here oh man in the next scene a concerned lee calls dennis they meet at dennis's house and have a conversation about christine's evil history lee is worried she'll be next dennis seems less concerned and thinks he may be able to talk sense into his friend at that night's new year's eve party over at the cunningham's house lee warns dennis that christine may already have gotten her hooks in arnie she's a little she seems a little smarter than dennis here because Dennis is like, I can talk to him. He's just my buddy. Like, Yeah, yeah. I think it's fine. Arnie pulls up to pick up Dennis for the party, and Dennis calls Christine a rust bucket, which is, you don't, don't do call, that. Don't call Christine Arnie that. tells Dennis to watch what he says about Christine. She's sensitive, he says drunkenly, either from celebrating too early or from Christine herself. Arnie offers Dennis a beer on the drive. The car exceeds well past the speed limit. Dennis begins to warn Arnie that he's changed. Arnie takes his hands off the wheel and Dennis watches his friend in abject horror as Arnie is obviously a full Christine one-man cult at this point. Mm -hmm. He talks again of shitters, tries to warn Dennis not to be like all the other shitters. Arnie is wild-eyed and sweating and he testifies the glory of Christine. He looks bad here his eye his all his eyes are all sunken in he looks like he hasn't slept in days he's yeah. pale or like that said, he was on sweating. some kind of bender he, like yeah he has very clearly devolved both physically and mentally he looks terrible arnie says let me tell you something about love dennis it has voracious appetite it eats everything friendship family it kills me how much it eats when someone believes in you you can do anything any fucking thing and when you believe right back in that someone then watch out world because then nobody can stop you ever arnie tells dennis to watch and puts the pedal to the floor revving well past 100 miles per hour dennis braces for impact as arnie drives across the median and into oncoming traffic a car swerves at the last second and arnie yells gleefully chicken shit before turning to dennis with giant intense eyes and echoes george LeBay saying Oh man, there's nothing finer than being behind the wheel of your own car, except maybe for pussy. Like he fucking knows. I mean, I don't know, man. I don't know if he ever convinced Lee that all she needed to do was get laid, but I whatever. Don't, it doesn't seem like it. So when I um I think when you see the speedometer, you know, creeping up, they show it pretty closely. I don't know if you noticed, but that odometer, which started out at around ninety thousand when Arnie bought the car, mm-hmm. it's at about sixty thousand now. So that odometer's been going backwards, and his little speech about uh, his little speech about what love eats—it's like it's, it's like Christine is sucking the life out of him. Yeah, it's it's pretty. It's a par- it's like a parasite. It's mm-hmm. crazy. Yep. 
The following morning, Dennis scratches Darnell's tonight into the hood of Christine. He looks around to make sure the coast is clear, and then he hops into his own car with Lee driving and drives away. That night, Dennis and Lee enter the garage together. Dennis comments on how cleared out everything is since Darnell's passing. Lee looks down at stall 20 and mentions that that is where Arnie used to keep her. Lee then suggests that they get prepared for the night. They climb into a large front loader and Dennis hot wires the vehicle because he used to play carjacker football before he blew his knee. Right into the ground. He hand pushes his busted leg into the gas of the large lumbering beast and moves the front loader out into position. Lee climbs up inside and Dennis goes over the plan with her to close the garage door as soon as she sees the car come inside. Lee questions whether Arnie will even come, and Dennis responds, Christine will. So I guess Dennis does know that maybe Christine's her own yeah, he independent ki- he kind car of, person. And he, I like it because he buys into it pretty quick. You know, always yeah. in horror movies, there's a person who's like, what are you talking about? They're not evil. Like, That's you're just logical. making stuff up. Yeah. Right. Dennis is pretty quick to be like, evil car? Cool. I'm on board. Let's fuck it up. Like, he, <laughs> yeah. so he he knows he's in a horror movie well, I, I think and he, he's going to behave accordingly. Well, and also, I mean, I think he's just, he knows this is not his friend. He knows oh, that this absolutely. is not the Arnie he knows and befriended and now, like, helps hope. And it kind of seems like they've been friends since childhood. Probably. So, I mean, this is not the person. Yeah, I used knows. to help him open his locker. Like, what the fuck? Who yeah. is this dude? Yeah. They pause terrified as headlights illuminate the entrance of the formerly darkened garage. They breathe a large sigh of relief as the white 80s model sedan pulls away from the garage door and turns around. I love this little moment because they're like... <gasps> I hate that. Do you remember? I don't know if you remember, but like, you know, when you're a kid and you're waiting for your mom and dad to get home from work and whatever, but like you were supposed to empty the dishwasher and have (laughs) have a report card to show them. So you're kind of like peeking out the window, like waiting for them to show and like see lights. You see lights and you're like, oh God, that's them. And then your breath catches and you're like, oh fuck that's the neighbor okay no i'm good oh god somebody turned around in my driveway <laughs> yes oh that's the worst i'm gonna like, go hide under my bed if that i'm an happens. introvert and i'm 40 something years old and i'm still like oh my god who's in my driveway why is there somebody in my driveway <laughs> dennis looks at lee and tells her she better get into the office and get ready as lee walks carefully and i mean the most casually to darnell's office and we're screaming at the bitch to run Headlights suddenly shoot on and suspenseful music warns us of the gnarly action that's about to go down. You see, Christine was there all along, hiding in plain sight under some scrap metal and shit. And y'all, this is way more terrifying than it sounds. Mm -hmm. Getting run down by a red car is still kind of a fear of mine, like to this day for this reason. Christine drives directly at Lee and she dashes to the office, which is padlocked. She struggles a bit at the door to try to force it open. She weighs 90 pounds. And as Christine edges closer and closer, she bails on her strongman idea and decides instead to gymnastic Simone Biles parkour jump leap onto a tire rack. (laughs) And Christine drives right underneath her and crashes into an abandoned car. Like, I get that she's a teenager, but like, is she a teenager in training at like... You didn't know that she played gymnastics football till she blew out her knee? (laughs) (laughs) That's my joke. She grabs a tire for comfort and falls to the floor wrong and struggles to get back up for a moment. I think she hurt herself. Yeah. Christine tire. Maybe she did blow out her knee. (laughs) Maybe she did. Christine's tires squeal maniacally as she tries to free her bumper from the side of the abandoned car because she smashes like right into a car and she Mm -hmm. gets stuck again because that's that's her M.O. 
Dennis begins moving the front loader as fast as possible to get it to Lee before Christine can get to Lee. He slowly pushes the front loader shovel to gently pen Lee and protect her from Christine's wrath. So like she's against the wall and the front loader shovel part is like right mm-hmm. up against her. Mm-hmm. Um, Christine finally frees herself for front grill ripped away and twisted gaping maw left in its place. It's like, it's like the twisted broken teeth of like mm-hmm. a a banshee woman mm-hmm. it's so great here yeah christine rams to the side of the front loader shovel lee flinches away with a shriek and backs her already slender frame into as tight of a space as possible christine backs away and tries the approach from the other side and lee gasps in panic but is still held safe by the thick metal front loader as christine backs away and crashes into part of the garage arnie's voice is heard shouting you shitters that we cannot see him so he's been driving this car. He's in this car. It's. I love this here because, like I said, the rest of the movie, they set it up where her windows are blacked out. You don't know if Arnie's driving. You kind of suspect he never is. So you figure this is Christine coming back for her revenge and her attack. Yeah, but and no. I remember specifically when you and I did the rewatch for this movie, we backed it up and played it like three times because I was like, who says that? I'm like, dude, that's fucking Arnie. That's Arnie. He and is then driving later, and has lost it completely. And then later, you see him peering out from this darkened windshield, mm-hmm. and he is crazed, just crazed, crazed and like skeletal. Like yeah. he doesn't look. He looks so bad. Dennis backs away, and Lee slowly peers out. Arnie from inside the car looks out into the garage with a cold and crazed deadness behind his eyes. As sounds of metal popping and twisting into place can be heard. Christine is fixing herself again. Dennis's front loader dies and he frantically reaches down to hotwire it back to life. He glances up to see Christine emerge again, somehow fully restored and heading right for Lee. Lee miraculously jumps out of the way at the last second and Arnie and Christine crash right into the wall of the garage. Lee cries out and walks slowly up to the wreckage. Arnie suddenly leaps from the rubble, covered in cuts and bleeds, and yells, yeah, as he throws his arms around Lee's neck. It's a little goofy. It is goofy. Um, but it's like, you know, it's He's quintessential, like, yeah. it's quintessential, like, last, you know, Dying last breaths, scare. whatever. Oh, yeah. It's like that last jump scare. Um, he groans and falls and pulls a bloody seven-inch long shard of glass from his abdomen. He reaches out to Christine's grill desperately and then... It dies, expires. Ex the last Arnie. thing he does before he dies is he to, reaches to touch Christine. Yeah. It's all he wants. It's all he wants. Lee walks back to the center of the garage. Dennis gets the front loader working again, and Lee informs him that Arnie's dead. Christine's headlights flash on to bathe Arnie's body as the song I'll Forever Love You play on the radio station. She's like, I'll miss you the most. Yeah. And also, when Lee says, when Lee tells... Dennis that Arnie's dead he just goes like this is your friend for a long time your best friend and you're not even gonna like shed a fake tear like they can't even visine your eye real quick I'll just give him the benefit of the doubt and say maybe he's in shock I I know he's in pain because of his broken leg but still like it would be I mean the guy didn't even say damn he was just like I don't know She suddenly backs out of the wreckage and squeals her tires. Dennis shouts for Lee as Christine heads right for her. Lee runs out of the way and Christine crashes into a support beam. Dennis makes haste with his front loader and pins Christine against the solid steel support. 
Christine scrapes her way out of Dennis's maneuver and heads slowly for Lee, who walks slowly and nervously towards the evil car to like use herself as bait. Mm -hmm. Dennis lifts the shovel and drops it down on top of Christine's trunk. Though she keeps trying to drive towards Lee, he pulls cool levers that do cool shit and <laughs> the front loader, the front end of the loader comes off the ground to push more like tonnage right down on Christine's back. I don't know how this stuff works, but it's cool. It's a cool scene. I believe that that's what you do. Yeah. I don't know. She struggles a bit and her dashed display finally goes dark. Relieved, Lee jumps into the front loader beside Dennis and they embrace Christine's lights come back on again and the radio blares back to life and Dennis cries out no (laughs) before before engaging the front loader again and running right over her. The radio continues to blare. Rock and roll is here to stay as Dennis rocks back and forth over Christine and turns her into a pancake like she's flat. Mm -hmm. The The final scene opens with a cube of smashed red Plymouth Fury dropped into the dirt. So they... They smashed the crap. Yeah, she is a cube now. She's a cube of Christine. Dennis and Lee look on with Detective Junkins, who reassures them not to feel too bad because they're heroes. Um, okay. How so many people, my boyfriend how many people don't feel bad. My boyfriend slash ex-boyfriend just died right by me. My best friend just died completely, but don't feel bad. Because of an evil car. But I'm a hero. Junkins is weird. Junkins is weird. Dennis says a real hero would have saved Arnie, and the detective provides that some things can't be helped, some people too. An oldie song plays on the radio, and Lee and Dennis' faces change from grief to dread until they see a cigar-smoking mechanic, there's a cigar again, <laughs> walking through the yard with a boombox on his shoulder. God, I hate rock and roll, Lee sighs, as the camera pulls away from them and pushes in on Christine, no longer a car, but a cube of twisted metal. And the only discernible feature of her former glory is a mangled grill. And as the camera pushes into the heap and we get a closer detail of that grill, we get a static shot, a slight twitch of metal, a kind of wink as the opening guitar riff of Bad to the Bone plays and fade to black. Ugh. The end. Ugh. So good. So, Alan, what did you think of Christine? Christine was was really solid. I really enjoyed this movie. Um, I love John Carpenter. Um, I I I know that he's directed more violent horror movies. This one has kind say, of a lack of violence. This is a this is watery gore for for John Carpenter. So, well, so there's a reason for that. Um, the movie he made right before this was The Thing, which was not well received. I still do not understand why. Um, but critics really got on it for being so graphic and so violent and so it know, was gory. It, it was a lot. It, oh, well, The Thing is a lot. We're doing it. No, so. we will. I know. Um, so The Thing is is definitely a lot. So he pulled back on this one. Yeah. Um, you know, I think in order, first of all, I think he was still a little bummed out because the reception of the thing was not good. Yeah. And second of all, you know, like I said, the criticism was for Gore. So he's like, all right, let's pull that back. Um, so this is very watered down. It doesn't make it a bad movie. I think it's no. a great adaptation. Um, this is, it's tension. I find oh my God. it, it's very tense. I have a hard time calling this, like it is a horror, but like, barely a horror this is one i feel like you could honestly show 
your kids and it wouldn't yeah. be. Well, I did watch it as a kid. Yeah, it's, well, <laughs> I don't want to speak to what we did as kids because we're really strange, but. Mom said, know, our mom says warped. Yeah, our mom calls us warped. She's not wrong. She's also the ringleader, so don't you all forget that. Um, but it's good. It's very solid. It's very good. It's very enjoyable. I really loved, you know, kind of deep diving into the trivia around this, finding out yeah. more about how many versions of Christine they used and, yeah. you know, just all that good stuff. Um, it is a solid watch. It's not going to be the highest in my rotation of rewatches, but that doesn't mean I'm like, oh no God, I never want to see this movie again. So I understand that. I This one is rated pretty high for me. I think this one... Uh, and this could be simply because it is a very nostalgic movie mm-hmm. for me, and it's one of the first like I think horror movies that I saw as a, uh, as a kid that I really recall watching as a kid. Mm-hmm. And another thing too about the horror element, and I will go to the mat for horror that is deals with horror elements but is not graphic because there are a lot of movies out there. Fourteen oh eight is one of them. Yeah, where the gore is not big but the scares are big and it's, it's good and it's for it is pg-13 i, I think. was just thinking back and christine the only blood we really see in this movie is at the very very end when arnie dies right yeah. i don't know that we see any other we really don't see gore. we we get suggested kills and mm-hmm. we get just you know a body or two but we it get does no kind of blood ha- it does kind of handle it in that sort of like 1960s monster movie way a little of bit like yeah. the screams and relies so heavily on the sound mm-hmm. to and create the horror um and i always celebrate somebody using elements of sound to create horror as opposed to using just on-screen gore though i love good gore i i mean i'm a gore whore <laughs> what can i I'm say i really whore. do appreciate and really it's not because i love gory things it's because i especially practical effects yeah i will go oh i Wait, will watch gonna, I mean, any good practical effects gore movie we're going anytime. ham on some gore i mean we're going ham on yeah. some entrails and some viscera because I we love, love that here i will rewind a good gory kill to watch it a second time if it's a good one yeah you know i um, mean if, if i get the opportunity to write viscera into a script i'm gonna watch the movie <laughs> So, uh, sister, how many days are you renting this movie for? I'm renting these for I'm renting this one for a solid eight days. Nice. This one's really, really close to my heart, and I definitely would happily watch it again and again. It's one that I'm going to come back to. I'm going to take a long break from it, having yeah. written the script for it, but it's definitely one that I may yearly come back to and be like, you know what, it's time to watch Christine again. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited i was very excited to cover this one oh yeah no um for you for me i'm not running it for eight days um i think for me this one's about a six and a half day rental um like i said i love john carpenter i love stephen king this movie doesn't fully do it for me i won't (laughs) say i don't like it but it was very enjoyable. It's just if I want to, if I want a movie that feels like, a, oh man, I really watched a horror yeah. movie. This is not the one I'm going to pick. Yeah. Um. Great score, great casting. I mean, Arnie, um, Keith Gordon as Arnie is excellent casting. casting. Um. There's so many positives to this movie. I don't have yeah. anything negative to say. It's just that it doesn't quite thrill me, scare me in the yeah. way that I like a horror movie to do. So. Right. 
but no, six and a half days solid. I will watch it again. You know, I know we're going to come across some movies where if I'm like, where I'm like, if I never see this again, it'll be too soon. This is not one of those movies. <laughs> so, yeah. That wraps it up for this episode, listeners and lurkers. Thanks for joining us here on The Last Isle. What did you think of this week's episode? Let us know on our social media channels, at Last Isle on Facebook and Twitter, and at Last Isle Pod on Instagram. We look forward to hearing from you. We'll be back next week with a new episode. So sit back, cuddle up with your broken buddy Holly glasses, and grab a bag of yogurt, and come peruse the selection of movies in The Last Isle. See you soon. Bye.